Hello there. Welcome to the KedCast. My name is Ethan, and today we're talking about homophones, homographs, and homonyms. We're going to be talking about what they are, what's the difference, and then I'm going to go over my top 38 favorite homophones. Let's jump right in. So first, we have to define our terms. Let's start off with homophone. Prefix homo, H-O-M-O, means same. You see this in homogenous, which means something is uniform or the same throughout. And then phone, it's like phonics, it's the way something sounds. So two words that are homophones make the same sound. One example is like weak and weak. W-E-E-K, like a seven-day week, and then W-E-A-K, like not strong. Next is homograph. So homo again means same, and graph describes how something looks, like a graphic or a photograph. So two words are homographs if they look the same. For instance, if you take the two sentences, I live in a house and I like live music, live and live are both spelled the same, L-I-V-E, but they're pronounced differently. So they'd be homographs. Another example is like lead, like the element, and then lead, like a leader. Both cases, L-E-A-D, but different pronunciations. And then we have homonyms. Nim means name, like pseudonym, one's fake name, or demonym, the name for people from a certain place, like Austinites or Houstonians. Nim means name. So homonyms are words with the same name. But what does that mean? So there are two common interpretations of homonyms. The first interpretation is that words are homonyms if they have both the same spelling and the same pronunciation. So one might say, oh, does that mean the same word? Yes and no. So they do have the same spelling and the same pronunciation, but they have different meanings. So one example is like bat and bat. One of them is a flying mammal, and the other is like a stick that you hit stuff with, like a baseball bat. So homonyms are really when a word has like multiple meanings, like how match could mean the fire starting stick that you strike, or match could mean when you pair up two things. Cap could mean the article of clothing you wear upon your head, or it could mean like nah, that's cap. One might ask, so if homophones only mean that two words sound the same. Well, match and match sound the same, so wouldn't that be homophones as well? Turns out, yes, words that are spelled the same and pronounced the same have to be pronounced the same, so all homonyms are homophones, at least under this first interpretation. The only necessary qualifications for two words to be homophones is that they do sound the same. So the same word twice would be homophones, and the two different versions of bat are also homophones. So all homonyms are homophones, but not all homophones are homonyms. It's like a smaller circle inside of a bigger circle. Most of the words that you think of that are homophones, like there, there, and there, or dear, and dear, those aren't homonyms, but they are homophones. And this logic is also true for homographs. All homonyms look the same, like bat and bat, they're both spelled the same, so all homonyms are homographs as well, even though they aren't pronounced differently like other homographs, like live and live and lead and lead from earlier, they are still homographs because the way they look, graph, is the same. So, are homographs homophones? only when they're homonyms, at least under the first interpretation. The other school of thought is that homonyms, words with the same name, have either the same pronunciation or the same spelling. So if you imagine a Venn diagram where the left side is homophones and the right side is homographs, in the previous example, the little almond in the middle, where it needs to be both, would be homonyms. But in the second interpretation, it's saying that the entire Venn diagram, so either or, including both, all of those are homonyms. So all homographs are homonyms, all homophones are homonyms, that's the second interpretation. Many times, if you ask someone, oh, what are two words that sound the same but are spelled differently? One might say, oh, that's a homonym. But unfortunately, that's not quite right. Under both interpretations, I'm going to give you some analogies. It might be a little bit hard to follow along with like the theoretical Venn diagrams. But just know that the upcoming analogies with four-sided 2D shapes or quadrilaterals map 100% correctly to the homophone, homograph, homonym Venn diagram thing. So fundamentally, there are two questions that like kind of arise when, when someone asks this. There is, what do you call two words that sound the same? 
And then what do you call two words that sound the same but are spelled differently? Because whenever someone asks, oh, what are two words that sound the same? Presumably they don't, they don't want bat and bat. That They want two words that are spelled differently because that's where the distinction really is drawn. For all of these examples, I'm going to assume the answer given is homonym. And here's why that's like wrong or incomplete. So let's take the first interpretation where two words are homonyms if they are both homophones and homographs. Look the same, spell the same. And let's say I'm talking to, to Jimmy. I asked, what are two words that sound the same? Jimmy says, oh, that's a homonym. But that would be like if I asked you, oh, what are those quadrilaterals that have four right angles called? And the response that Jimmy gives is, oh, those are squares. So yes, all squares have four right angles. But if you have a quadrilateral with four right angles that is not a square, like for instance, where the length is longer than the width, that would not be a square. So Jimmy saying square doesn't fully encompass what I'm looking for. And in fact, we have a word that refers to a quadrilateral with four right angles. That's a rectangle, because there can be quadrilaterals that fulfill the question I asked that aren't square. So Jimmy is giving this like specific subset that doesn't actually answer like this broad category of what I'm asking, what is this called? So too, we have a word whose definition means two words that sound the same, and that's homophone. So, and Jimmy telling me, oh, but homonyms can also sound the same. Yes, but there are words that sound the same that are not homonyms, but all of them are homophones. That's under the broad question of what do you call two words that sound the same? And let's go to the second question. If the question is, what are two words that sound the same but are spelled differently? And Jimmy answers homonym. That's like me asking, oh, what are those quadrilaterals with four right angles where the sides are not equal? The width is longer than the length. And Jimmy says, ah, that's a square. That's wrong because square is the quadrilateral where the sides are all equal. Like, I asked for the one without. So... This one is just factually wrong because a square has equal sides, and that was what I ex explicitly excluded in my question. So what is the answer to this question? So there's no formal name. The best answer for a quadrilateral with four right angles where the sides are different is would just be a non-square rectangle. Because if you just say rectangle, there is a rectangle that does have equal sides, the square. So you could just say non-square rectangle. Likewise, if you ask for two words that sound the same but are spelled differently, and Jimmy says, oh, that's a homonym, it's wrong under the same logic because you're specifically asking for the homophones that are not homonyms that don't have the same spelling the name of this category if people subscribe to the first interpretation at least the best thing i can give is oh that's just a non-homonym homophone let's go to the second interpretation of the second interpretation jimmy makes slightly more sense but not really so what are two words that sound the same jimmy says homonym this time it's like me asking what are those quadrilaterals that have four right angles called and jimmy says oh that's a parallelogram this time it's way too vague, because even though all rectangles, what I'm looking for, are parallelograms, there are many other quadrilaterals that are also parallelograms that are very much not rectangles and very much not what I'm specifying for, where it needs to have all four right angles. Like, for instance, you could take those like slanted parallelograms where instead of 90, 90, 90, 90 for the angles, you have something like 120, 60, 120, 60. In this way, Jimmy's answer doesn't really make sense. Same for answering homonym, because you're way too vague. Because if I'm asking for words that sound the same, and like homographs are also homonyms, then that doesn't narrow down. It's not actually answering my question of what are words that are sound the same called. There, there, are, there would be some homonyms that, are, that do fit my definition. But when I ask, oh, what are these called? And you give me something that can refer to things outside that set, that answer doesn't really make sense. For the second question, same thing. The analogized question is, what are those quadrilaterals with four right angles where the sides are not all equal? And Jimmy again says, parallelogram. It's too broad to mean what he wants it to mean. Logic from the previous question applies. And so basically, in the first interpretation of homonym, where it needs to be both, 
you're too specific. You keep answering square when you're looking for not that. And when you're too specific, you either are too specific and it's in the subset in which it's not a useful answer, or you're too specific and it falls outside the subset in which you're not even answering the question correctly uh, and you're just wrong. And in the second interpretation, you're way too broad either way and it doesn't give an accurate or correct description of the word you're looking for. So either way, next time someone asks you, what are those words that sound the same but are spelled differently? You can give them the answer of, oh, those are non-homonym homophones. Or you can give them the answer of, oh, those are just homophones that are spelled differently, which is kind of like giving them back their question because there's not really a specific name for this category. But either way, if you gave the answer of, oh, those are homophones, that's close enough. Much better than saying, oh, those are homonyms. Either way, I think the first interpretation is correct. The one that is needs to be a homophone and homograph, as opposed to the one that's like the or, where it's homophone or homograph. I think the first interpretation is correct, and that's what I'll be using for the rest of not only this episode, but the rest of the entire podcast. So for the rest of this episode, I will only be talking about words that sound the same, but that are spelled differently. So this is the non-homonym homophones. And from now on, I'm just going to say homophone to me in that subset. Just know that I'm excluding the homonyms. And now I'm going to go into my list of my top 38 favorite homophones. So first, how is this list constructed? What makes me like a homophone? So there are many factors, and you'll see. Sometimes they're funny, and they give me a chuckle. Sometimes it's nifty, and it's like, oh, wow, those two words pronounced the same? I didn't even know that. Nice. Other times, they make her very nice puns. Sometimes one of the words is just a cool word, apart from being a homophone. And the word is just ranked high, because, like, maybe I like the word chili, and I just want to talk about chili for a little bit, which I, I will. Uh, before we roll into this, a disclaimer... I will only be talking about homophones in general American English. For instance, in British English, the word arms, like, I have two arms, and alms, like, almsgiving, those two words are homophones. They're both pronounced alms. Different accents and dialect change the way you speak and thus have different pronunciations. So homophones, homographs, and homonyms change depending on what English variant you're speaking. But today, we're going to be talking about general American English, which is the accent that I have. Another disclaimer. The podcast medium is quite literally the worst way to talk about homophones. It's not like I can just like show you the word spelled differently on the screen, like in a presentation or a video. And the irony isn't lost on me. Like, for instance, if I say dear and dear, it sounds identical because the podcast medium is audio only. So I'm going to spell out all the words. I was going to do a version where I didn't spell out any of the words, but that seems a little cruel and also just doesn't make sense. So let's roll into this list looking at my personal ranking of my top 38 favorite homophones. Starting off, number 38 is soul. So there's soul, S-O-U-L, like we're made body and soul. This is also the same soul as like soul food, which is one of my favorite cuisines. And then there's also S-O-L-E soul, which has three main meanings. One is like the bottom thingy on your shoe. And then second is like one and only, like a soul purpose. And then there's also soul like the fish, S-O-L-E. Number 37 is genes. So one is genes like genetics, G-E-N-E-S, and the other is genes, J-E-A-N-S, which is like the denim leg apparel. Number 36 is Mary. One is M-E-R-R-Y, like Merry Christmas, meaning like cheerful or festive. And the second is Mary, M-A-R-R-Y, which is like to bring together in marriage. Number 35 is time. One is T-I-M-E, like the measurement of the passing of moments measured in the SI unit of seconds. The other is time, T-H-Y-M-E, like the herb that I like to use on like roasted potatoes or mushrooms. Good stuff. Number 34 is compliment. First is compliment, C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T. This one has the same root as like complete. It's like when two things are like fitting or synergistic in some way. Like, oh, my mom is good at the hardware side of electrical engineering and my dad is good at the software side. So they complement each other well if they were to do like a joint project for electrical engineering that required both. And then the homophone is 
compliment, C-O-M-P-L-I-M-E-N-T, which is when someone like says something nice about you, or when you say something nice and affirming about someone else. Complimenting. Pass it on. Okay. Number 33 is complimentary. So isn't this just the same thing? Yes and no. So we'll start off with the first complimentary, C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T-A-R-Y. This one, like the other version, is things that like work well together. But this version with E also means two angles whose sum is 90 degrees or pi over two radians. So for instance, a 30 degree angle and a 60 degree angle are said to be complementary angles. The other spelling of complementary, C-O-M-P-L-I-M-E-N-T-A-R-Y, can also be related to like giving compliments. It also is the complementary that means that something is free of charge, like a complimentary checked bag. Complimentary. Number 32 is course. One is course, C-O-R-S-E, like an obstacle course. It can also mean course like a dish, like a main course or a 10-course meal. It could also mean course like classes you're taking or like an online study series, like a course. Uh, in fact, I think that episode three or four of this very podcast is going to be an apologetics course. What we're apologizing for? Well, you'll just have to wait and see. The other spelling, of course, is C-O-A-R-S-E, which is like the opposite of fine, like something's rough or has like large particles, course. Number 31 is sum. So first you have sum, S-O-M-E, like some of the lemons went missing. Interestingly, sum, this version of sum, is one of the very few indefinite pronouns that can be used both singular and plural. And oddly enough, another one of these elusive, can be both singular and plural, indefinite pronouns appears elsewhere on this list. And I'll talk about it when I get there, and I'll, I'll, I'll give examples by what I mean by it can be both singular or plural. And the other spelling of sum is S-U-M which refers to the result of the addition of multiple numbers or counted things, like the sum of 9 and 10 is 19, for example. Number 30 is rue. So rue can be R-U-E, as in regret, like, you will rue the day that you betrayed me, meaning that you will regret the day that you betrayed me. Or rue can mean rue, R-O-U-X, which is like when you put like butter on the stovetop, and then you cook it, and you like add flour, and you like mix it around to cook off that like flour taste, and you make like this paste of like cooked butter and flour that's like a great stable base for sauces. Like, for instance, normally if you try to make, like, a cheese sauce with, like, cheese and milk, uh, usually it's really grainy if you don't have enough emulsifiers, so you have to, like, add some emulsifiers, like sodium citrate externally. However, if you use a roux, you can make a really creamy sauce that isn't, like, gritty. Roux is also the base for other sauces, like cream sauces or gravies, and roux, R-O-U-X, also refers to a Rubik's Cube speed-solving method based around, like, block building and using M-slice moves. It's pretty cool, but I think the learning curve is a Requires a little more intuition and problem solving than like a CFOP method, especially for like getting high efficiency. Number 29 is nice. So you have G-N-E-I-S-S, which is like a metamorphic rock, nice. And there's also N-I-C-E, nice, which is like your normal nice, which is like when something's like pleasant or good. Actually, nice has a whole bunch of meanings and all the meanings are kind of hard to explain using other words that aren't just the word nice. But if I'm like, wow, that was nice, or oh, he's just being nice, or let's get this out and do a tray. Nice. You know what nice is supposed to mean in all these instances, so yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. Number 28 is heroin. The first heroin, H-E-R-O-I-N-E, which is a hero who happens to be female, who is brave and courageous, usually did something cool, worthy of praise. Names that come to mind for like heroines are like Judith or St. Joan of Arc. Cool people. The other heroin is H-E-R-O-I-N, which is an opioid drug. Don't do drugs, kids. Drugs are bad. Heroin bad. Number 27 is Juul. So one Juul, J-U-U-L, is like the vape company. But uh, again, don't, don't, don't do drugs, kids. Don't Juul. It's not cool. I tried to leave out proper nouns, which is why I didn't have like win and win or do and do or my and my or many other Vietnamese last names that sound like words in English. But 
I had just mentioned the drug stuff previously, and I, I didn't even plan this. I just like made the tier list, and there happened to be like heroin right next to Jewel. So I was like, okay, this seems like a good enough segue. But in reality, Jewel, there's J-E-W-E-L, like the faceted gemstone. And then there's Joule, J-O-U-L-E, which is the SI unit for energy, which has the base SI units of a kilogram meter squared over second squared. Number 26 is main. So first you have main, which is like primary, like a main course or like a 10 course meal. Wait. And then you have main, M-A-N-E, which is like the long, luscious hair that cascades down the neck of a horse. This homophone pair of main and main is the basis for the group, the main six. And now we've reached the top 25 of my favorite homophones. Number 25 is flower. So one flower is F-L-O-W-E-R, like roses and lilies and other like those plants. And the other is flower F-L-O-U-R. It's like a ground grain. And the reason I like this homophone pair is I like to bake cakes from scratch and then decorate them with like roses made out of like buttercream. Therefore, uh, flower. Number 24 is Q. So one Q is like a signal of sorts, like when you get like a Q on stage to start. The Q is also the same Q as like like cue ball for billiards. The other Q is Q, Q-U-E-U-E, which is a cool word to look at and to spell. It's like a line or a sequence that's usually ordered. Like, oh, I'm the fourth one in the Q, or you should add that song to the Q. Number 23 is a triple, aisle. First we have A-I-S-L-E, which usually refers to like a walkway between the rows of seats in like a theater or an airplane. It also refers to like when you go to the supermarket and there's like the shelved sections and you call those aisles as well. The next is aisle, I-S-L-E, which is like a geographical feature that's mostly or completely surrounded by water, like like an island. And the final aisle is I apostrophe L-L, which is a contraction of I and will. Contractions, actually, no, no, you you know what contractions are, it's, it's okay. Interestingly enough, even when the word aisle appears in the middle of a sentence, like I apostrophe LL aisle, the I is still capitalized because I by itself is always capitalized, and even though it gets contractionalized, it still keeps its auto-capitalizatory properties. Number 22 is a common favorite, and it's cereal. So first you have cereal, C-E. R-E-A-L, which is the breakfast food grain thing that is commonly combined with milk in some order that may or may not be a soup or a salad that like humans eat. The other is cereal, S-E-R-I-A-L, which is the adjective for like series. So if something happens in a series, like a cereal newspaper, that, that, that's this definition of cereal. But more commonly, it's when like crimes are committed uh, in a series, like this word cereal is used for like a serial arsonist or like a serial killer. Number 21 is beach. So first, it's like B-E-A-C-H, like where the ocean meets the land, where there's like sand, you can make like sandcastles, spend a nice day at the beach. The other is beech, B-E-E-C-H, which is a species of deciduous tree. Originally, I was going to name this episode the beach episode, but spelled B-E-E-C-H because beach episodes are like a trope. But that seems more fitting for a potential podcast episode on like trees and plants and like uh, dendrology, which is like a study of trees, and dendrochronology, which is a study of like the tree rings, so you can learn more not only about the trees but about what occurred at the time of the trees like certain like weather-based events dental chronology is pretty cool stuff um who knows that, that might be another show but yeah beach number 20 is taught so first you have taught t-a-u-g-h-t which is the past tense of teach and then you have taught t-a-u-t like something is pulled tight like a taut rope is one that doesn't have any slack t-a-u-t that taught and then you have taught t-o-t like a tater tot so anyone else does anyone else associate tater tots with, like, 
specifically the fast food chain Sonic. Like, I remember when I was a little kid, and they had those, like, plush tater tots that would, like, come with, like, the kids' meals that were, like, different things. Like, there was, like, the plush strawberry tater tot, the plush, like, dolphin tater tot. There's, like, the gold one, the silver one, the pirate one, various different animals. There's, like, the gorilla one. There's, like, the, the one that looks like a globe. All these different tater tots from Sonic. Cool stuff. They're all really cute. I wish they still did that, but unfortunately not. Interestingly, Sonic doesn't actually call their product tater tots, because tater tots is trademarked by Orida. So at Sonic, it's just tots, and other products have to like have other interesting non-tater tot names, like potato tots or tater bites. Number 19 is chord. So first we have C-H-O-R-D chord, which is like a set of notes that does something cool when they're like together. Uh, you have like fourth chords and seventh chords. I used to know a lot about music theory, but I no longer do. And I'm just not too terribly interested in like music or like music theory, which is why, for instance, if I were to have like an original podcast intro outro music, I don't think I myself would spearhead that. Who knows? Under the same spelling of chord, C-H-O-R-D, we also have a line segment whose endpoints are distinct points on a circle circumference where the center of the circle does not fall on that line, chord. And then we have chord C-O-R-D, like a string or a rope, like a paracord or a dyneema chord. This spelling of chord can also refer to electronic chords. And then finally, we have chord C-O-R-E-D, like the past tense of core, like I chord this apple or I chord this pineapple. Pretty, uh, pretty cool stuff. Number 18 is your. So the first one is your, Y-O-U-R, the second person possessive adjective, like I didn't take your lemons. And the second one is your... Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, which is a contraction of U and R. This is probably one of the most commonly confused homophones. This is commonly confused when people spell things out because in their mind, they pronounce it your, and one is much easier and more intuitive to spell. So regardless of which one you're looking for, they usually just go with the one with the more simple spelling, the Y-O-U-R spelling. And this is probably one of the most common like spelling correction things that you see online. I have a funny story with the word your. So this is a very interesting use of the word your that I heard uh, from my seventh grade math teacher. So a student kind of like messed up in class in a way that he clearly shouldn't have. And my teacher was understandably mildly frustrated. And the student was like, oh, my bad. And the teacher was like, yes, you're bad. You knew better. It very much sounds like the teacher was saying, oh, you're bad. Like, you are bad. But instead, he was just repeating what the student had said. The student was like, ah, oh, my bad. That bad, that fault was mine. And the teacher was like, yes, that fault was yours. It was your bad. But it sounds like you are bad. So, interesting. Number 17 is peak. So the first peak is like the top of a mountain, or when something reaches a high point, or a local maxima. And that's P-E-A-K. Next is peak, P-E-E-K, like to look at something quickly or discreetly. And then, finally, this, this one's a little spookier, you have peak, P-I-Q-U-E, which means uh, to, like, stimulate the interest. Like, that presentation really piqued my interest regarding lemons. Number 16 is pride. So first we have pride, P-R-I-D-E, like the deadly sin. In another regard, this same spelling of pride can mean, like, a healthy sense of one's own, like, self-esteem and dignity, but very niche uses of the word. It can also mean just, like, being proud of something that you're a part of, like national pride or, like, Texan pride. Uh, but I will say there are certain words slash groups that when you follow it with the word pride, it kind of starts to sound real dubious. So, ye. And the second pride is pride, P-R-I-E-D, which is the past tense of pride, like, pride open a can with a screwdriver. This homophone pair is kind of cool because the two words use the exact same letters. In fact, only the D and the E are switched in pride and pride. And the only reason I remember the past tense of pride is that on a spelling quiz in the sixth grade, I was asked to spell prize 
Pry, but with like an S. But and I spelled it P R Y S, but that was wrong. It's P R I E S. And the teacher was like, "If you have try, how do you spell tries? If you have cry, how do you spell cries?" And I'm like, "Ah, dang it!" So that was one of the spelling questions I got wrong when I was in middle school. Big sedge. So now I have all the verb variants of pry just like cemented into my memory because number fifteen is the. So first you have the T H E. English is only definite article. Also more commonly pronounced the, but today it's the. And uh, yeah, most common word in the English language. It refers to things or something. Definitions of words like these are always weird. You you know what it means. The, like the car, the cow. The other the is T-H-E-E, which is a linguistically archaic second person pronoun that was apparently used among people who like knew each other more. So if like you didn't know someone, you'd use like the thou. But if you knew someone more, you'd use the the. Uh, as the second person pronoun uh and i believe it was the second person pronoun for both subject and object so this spelling of the is used a lot as the second person pronoun in older translations of the bible like the dewey reams or the king james version as well as in like older prayers and usually one might learn a prayer with the these and the thines and when you hear that same prayer with the yous and the yours it just sounds kind of off however i learned some prayers with the yous and the yours like Originally, I learned the Hail Holy Queen and the Anima Christi with the yous and the yours, so when I hear the these, it throws me off a little bit, at least when I started hearing the these and the thous, but at this point, I'm, I'm probably used to all of it, yeah. Number 14 is nun. So you have N-U-N, like a cloistered woman religious, and nuns are so cool, they live the cloistered life and they pray. Someone once told me this amazing analogy to describe the prayer of nuns. Just as the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, so too the nuns in the convents are the prayer powerhouses of the world. Very nice. The other nun is N-O-N-E, which is a pronoun. Honestly, top 10 pronoun out here. So this is the other aforementioned pronoun that can be either singular or plural, depending on its usage. Both none and some from earlier, but how? So pronouns, usually by the way they're written, independent of any of the words that are around them, denote singular or plural. Like I is always the singular first person pronoun, always singular. And if it were to be plural, it would be we, different word. So even demonstrative pronouns have this differentiation, like with this and these. However, none and some are different. And I'm going to mainly talk about none here, but the same logic applies to some. So for instance, take these two sentences. You have none of the lemons are on sale, and then none of the coffee is on sale. So these are correct. So here, one none refers to the plural count noun of lemons. So the verb that coincides with that is are, conjugated plurally. Whereas coffee, it's none of the coffee is on sale. And so that is going to be conjugated singularly because it's not a ca- it's not a count noun here. It's a mass noun. So the way it actually boils down, they don't really teach you this in school, but depending on, for none and some, depending on whether or not it's singular or plural, depends on whether or not it's referring to a count noun or a mass noun. What are those? So mass nouns are nouns that aren't countable. And the way you know this is that there's no plural variant, something like copper or furniture or air. like air the stuff you breathe being a count noun is common among like substances and materials or liquids like like you can't say oh i have one copper and two coppers and three coppers it's like a general material so that's going to be a mass noun where count nouns are countable like cows or popsicles or children or sheep so let's talk about those last two even though sheep doesn't have like a a plural quote-unquote it's just sheep and one sheep two sheep like one moose, two moose, it's still a count noun because it's individual things that you count. You can say there's one sheep, there are two sheep, there are three sheep. But copper and and like air, it doesn't make sense. You can, you can say you have like a certain volume of air, but you can't say like, I have one air, I have two air, I have three air. That doesn't make sense, even if there isn't, even if it doesn't end in an S. 
So, for instance, one could say, none of the children are sick, is the correct form there. This spelling of none, N-O-N-E, is also sometimes used to refer to the demographic of people who have no religion in, like, large polls and surveys, like agnostics and atheists. Like, in these surveys, there's, there's usually categories like Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, Jews, like, other religions, and then no religion, or the nuns. And in a future episode, we'll be talking about these nuns, and how, like, people can stay Catholic. So yeah, that's the homophone pair, none. Number 13 is air. One is A-I-R, air, like the mass noun for air that's around us, that's made of many gases. And the other air is H-E-I-R, which is someone that's going to inherit something from someone, like an heir to an estate, or an heir to the crown. That's air. Number 12 is friar. So first is friar, F-R-I-A-R, like a male in religious life. Commonly you hear that oh, someone's a Dominican friar, or someone's a Franciscan friar. And the other is F-R-Y-E-R, like a large, deep vessel of sorts used for frying food, like a deep fryer. So, a male Dominican religious who will soon inherit a large estate would be an air fryer, as would a tabletop convection oven. Air fryer. <laughs> Number 11 is the aforementioned chili. One is ch- like a chili pepper chili, C-H-I-L-E. Another is chili, C-H-I-L-L-Y, like it's quite cold outside, it's chili. And the third is a food item, chili, C-H-I-L-I. And I really like chili. It's a really good go-to food item. I make it myself in like a large batch. I'll eat some of it there, and then I'll freeze the rest in like ice cube trays. You can like buy ice cube trays. You can put, you can like slather the chili into the ice cube trays and then freeze it. And then after they're frozen solid, you take them out and you like wring out the ice cube tray and you have like these cubes of chili that you put in like a large zip top bag and you store them in the freezer and then whenever you say you want a lot of chili you get out like six ice cubes so you don't want a lot of chili small bowl to go with the rest of your meal you can get like two or three ice cubes of chili put them in the microwave boom instant chili so personally there are two main ways i eat my chili first i like my chili with like a nice like short grain rice and then the other is with korean rice cakes i usually don't have beans in my chili which now to think about is weird because i like eating beans but who knows i might try that Number 10 is leak. So first you have L-E-A-K, like a hole or crack where liquid or gas can escape. And the other leak is L-E-E-K, which is a vegetable. And there's a pun that's like, oh, there's a leak in the boat, or there's a leak in my sink. And it's an image of like a leak, the vegetable sitting in a boat or sitting under your sink. This is fine and all, except for the fact that no one actually knows what leaks are and appreciates their value in the kitchen. So basically, let me tell you all about leaks. So basically, a leak is an allium. Other alliums you might know are onions, scallions, shallots, chives, and garlic. It's like those pungent, oniony things. The best way I can describe a leek is it's like a large scallion that has a little bit more of a mild flavor, not as intense. It's a little bit sweeter, kind of like an onion. And when you buy it, usually the fronds or like the leafy part on top sometimes be like really dirty. This is like the well-known thing about leeks. So usually you, you wash the top of it thoroughly. Personally, I prefer the stronger flavor of scallions, which are also called green onions. Those are the same things, but those are different than chives. Also, leeks are just kind of big. Usually I don't want that much because if I did, I'd probably just like get an onion out of my seemingly endless onion basket sitting in the corner because the like 10 pound bag from Sam's is like $7. It's great. But yeah, leak. So number nine is carrot. And there are four different spellings of the word carrot, at least that I commonly use. So the first is C-A-R-E-T, carrot. And this is like the like uptick like symbol that you type when you like like two to the power of two, that's a carrot. Or you want to refer to the post above you in like Discord, carrot. Next is carrot, C-A-R-R-O-T, which is the orange root vegetable known for its sweetness and its color, orange. 
So, fun fact, carrot fronds are edible, like the, the green stuff on the top of the carrot that isn't the root, that isn't orange. Uh, it can be a good finishing herb, especially cool if you like grow your own carrots. You can use the whole thing. You can eat the orange part and you can use the green part as like a garnish or something. Or it's just like an herb, like for its actual taste. Another carrot is C-A-R-A-T, which is a unit of measurement for gemstones, most commonly diamonds. So carrots refer to weight slash size, kind of the same thing. It me- it's a measurement of how much gemstone is in your gemstone. So one carrot is 0.2 grams. And commonly diamonds are referred to as some amount of carrots, like a two carat diamond or a 1.05 carat diamond. An amount of stuff for gemstones. That's C-A-R-A-T carrot. Not to be confused with K-A-R-A-T, which is a measurement of gold purity or gold percentage, usually in a piece of jewelry. So basically, you've heard of 24 carat gold or 24K gold. And that's pure 100% gold. And everything kind of scales from there. So watch this. 12K gold is 50% gold. 18K gold is 75% gold. So it's like a fraction of out of 24. So 24 over 24, 100%. 12K gold is 50% gold. So that's 12 over 24. So if you have like a 16K gold, that's two thirds gold. It's like a fractional thing. Easiest way I remember it is that when I say 24K, I just think of gold. Therefore, the K, this carrot starts with the K. And the other carrot for gemstone starts with the C. Another way to remember that is just you remember that the, the gemstone one starts with the C. So for instance, whenever you're like buying gemstones or trying to price gemstones, there are four C's that you have to determine. And those are carrot, cut, clarity, and color. So their carrot for gemstones has to start with a C. And for that one, it's the measurement of, of the amount. Number eight is right. So three main versions. Let's start with the least well-known one first. So first we have right, R-I-T-E. Generally, it means some kind of religious ceremony thing, but in Catholic circles, it usually refers to distinct liturgical heritages heritages within the Catholic Church. So the most common is the Roman Rite and Latin Rites of the Roman Catholic Church, but there are also other Catholic particular churches and liturgical rites, like the Byzantine Rite, the Maronite Rite, the Syro-Malabar Rite, just to name a few, and their respective Catholic particular churches like the Maronite Church, which, are, which is a particular Catholic Church that is in full communion with Rome and the Pope. Fun fact, the newest particular Catholic church was formed in 2015, the Eretrian Catholic Church, and they celebrate the Ethiopic liturgical rite. But also, there are other Latin rites that are distinct from the Roman rite, like some rites tied with specific orders, like the Benedictine rite or the Dominican rite. And even in the Roman rite, there are further distinctions, like between the ordinary form of the Roman rite and the extraordinary form of the Roman rite, but also included in the Roman Rite, which is a subgroup of the Latin Rites, is divine worship, the Missal, which is used by former Anglicans that are now in communion with Rome. So for instance, the Anglican Ordinariate in Texas uses this Rite. And to cap off this pop-off about Rites, here's a quote from Catholic YouTuber and speaker Matt Frad. Quote, A faithful Catholic should not only submit to what the Church teaches authoritatively, he should also not demand uniformity where the Church allows diversity of opinion or custom. Close quote. So the next Rite is R-I-G-H-T, which can mean correct. It can also mean the thing that is not on the left, like it's on the right, like my right hand. It can also mean that like moral entitlement that people are always claiming, like, oh, I have a right. Next right is W-R-I-T-E, which has a literal concrete meaning, like marking with a pen or a pencil to like draw words. It also has a more abstract meaning of to compose. So one of my favorite lines of wordplay, or at least perceived wordplay, uses the word right, and it's in Billy Joel's The Longest Time. At one point, the singer asserts, quote, if you said goodbye to me tonight, there would still be music left to write. What else could I do? I'm so inspired by you. 
that hasn't happened for the longest time. So there are two main interpretations I have of if you said goodbye to me tonight, there would still be music left to write. The first is left to write, W-R-I-T-E. So another way to phrase this is there would still be music ideas remaining for me to compose because of how inspired I am by you. Another interpretation is music left to right, R-I-G-H-T, where left to right has the meanings of handedness. But together, left to right is a term of art, which means all around. Like if I said, there are lemons left to right. That means there are lemons like everywhere. So this could mean if you said goodbye to me tonight, there would still be music all around me and in my life. What else could I do? I'm so inspired by you. That hasn't happened for the longest time. Interesting stuff, right? Right. Number seven is pie. So the first pie is P-I-E, which is a baked pastry thing. It comes in two main variants, like a sweet pie and like a savory pie. A sweet pie would be like a lemon meringue pie, key lime pie, apple pie. And a savory pie would be like a chicken pot pie or mushroom pie. The other pie is P-I, which is a mathematical value that is about 3.14. Basically, if you want to do anything with circles and math, you'll need pi. Where does it come from? Weirdly, it kind of pops up everywhere, like especially in like infinite sums of fractional pattern thingies, it like pops up everywhere. But the most basic definition is it's the ratio between the circumference of a circle and its diameter. I used to have like 200 digits of pi memorized in like seventh grade. I checked just before recording this and I have around 110 digits still memorized. But yeah, pi. Number six is son. One son, S-O-N, is a male child. Also like the second person of the Trinity, the sun, S-O-N. And the other sun is S-U-N, the star in the center of our solar system, around which our planet revolves. It's that big yellow circle in the sky that makes Texas really hot, sun. I think the best instance of this homophone for wordplay is as follows. Our blessed mother, Mary, is like the moon, because she reflects the light of the sun. Now we get into the top five. Here's the cream of the crop, my top five favorite homophones. So number five is based. So first we have based, B-A-S-E-D. This has multiple meanings. First, it can mean like having a foundation in. So like his arguments were based in fact, or that company is based in Texas, or a roux-based sauce. Based is also a colloquial term. That means something along the lines of like correct or excellent or used to show like agreement with something. Like, oh, he thinks that the murder of innocence is intrinsically evil. That's based. It's a term that it's sometimes juxtaposed with the term cringe. Uh, so yeah, that's the first spelling of the word based. Do you know what the second spelling of the word based is? I'll give you a moment. Okay. The correct alternative spelling of based is, of course, B-A-S-T-E. Based. We'll get into what it means in a sec, but that's one of those ones where you kind of have to do like a double take on. Like You have to think, you have to like look at the spelling of the two words, say both of them aloud, and your brain has like switched back and forth until you realize, wait, based and based are indeed pronounced the same. So what does based, B-A-S-T-E, mean? Two main meanings. First one is based as in like a basting stitch. So whenever you sew, it's like a loose stitch that you can like freehand in order to keep things or keep a work or keep maybe multiple pieces of fabric aligned. So someone who's not very experienced at sewing, when I sewed like half a month ago, I used a based stitch to like keep two like pieces of fabric relatively aligned so I could run them through the sewing machine. The second definition of based is based, B-A-S-T-E, is when you pour hot oil or fat over something to cook or brown it. Commonly, this is when you cook like a steak, for example. You'll put some butter in the pan. Then after the like steak is cooking a bit and the butter has melted, you baste the steak with butter. That is, you scoop the hot butter off the bottom of the pan and you dump it on top. 
it heats up the top of the steak with a 350 degree plus oil, and it also like lightly browns the top. It like lightly fries it. it gives the top also a nice buttery flavor. You can also baste with oil or lard or bacon grease. You can baste more than just a steak. Like you can baste like a fish. I mean, like a large like portobello mushroom you're cooking. You can baste it to get good textures. Or like you could like Thanksgiving, you can baste a turkey. It's probably something you've heard of before. That's baste. Number four is censor. Three main variants. First, it's C-E-N-S-O-R, like the suppression of certain speech or content, censor. Next is censor, S-E-N-S-O-R, like a device that measures or has a response trigger based on its surrounding. So for instance, you get like color sensors to tell what color something is, light sensors to tell how bright a room is, buttons and joysticks are sensors. It's a way that systems can get like outside input. And third, we have censor, C-E-N-S-E-R, which is apparently synonyms with thurible, which I can best describe as like a big metal cup thing with like a big metal lid that burns incense inside of it that's used in worship services. So you'll see a thurible at like mass or adoration. That's also a sensor. Yeah. The reason that I like this homophone pair specifically is that uh, I'm studying like electrical and computer engineering. Uh, I'm also quite involved at like the Catholic Center at my university. So in a way, sensor is like, especially like the sensor, the device that measures things, I have to deal with those in class, I have to design like electric circuits and stuff, uh, potentiometers, that's like the sensor life. And then you also have like, when you go to adoration, there's a sensor, and that's the sensor life. Got him. Number three is nod. So the first nod is N-O-D, like you nod your head. The second nod is G-N-A-W-E-D. The past tense form of gnaw, like to gnaw, like to bite or nibble on something. An example of nod could be like a gnawed leaf or like a gnawed cookie. It's kind of like based where it's like, oh, wow, that is a homophone. That's pretty cool. More impressively, one word is double the size of the other. And it's not a measly like one letter to two letters or two letters to four letters. Even like I and I are cool, but like differential there is like two letters. But here the differential is three letters. Like that's crazy, dog. Like you have N-O-D and then G-N-A-W-E-D, like one's twice as long as the other, it's got three letters more than the other, yet they both make the same sound. That's nifty. Number two is necklace. So this one's a lot like nod and bass, but this is the pinnacle of, oh wow, those are pronounced the same. First is necklace that you wear around your neck, like a piece of jewelry, spelled N-E-C-K-L-A-C. And the second is spelled N-E-C-K-L-E-S-S, which means without a neck. Necklace, like a Repeat yourself a couple of times. Yeah, they're the same. One might be tempted to say necklace like neck lace, but no, you definitely say it necklace. Jewelry that you wear around your neck, not having a neck. Necklace. That one's pretty cool. Number one is continents. So first you have consonants, C-O-N-T-I-N-E-N-T-S, like the land masses that you see on the map. Commonly one learns in school that are seven continents, North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, and Antarctica. However, according to one potential interpretation by some random dude I know, continents are defined as continuous landmasses, keyword being continuous. So before the Panama Canal was built, North and South America were one continent. And also Europe and Asia are not separate continents, but one continent of Eurasia. And before the Suez Canal built, it would have been Europe, Asia, and Africa are one giant continent. Note also, Eurasia is a portmanteau of Europe and Asia. If you want to know about portmanteaus, listen to that episode zero. But if anything, that that still concedes some distinction between the two linguistically. Maybe not as far as to say they're their own different continents. Maybe some other societal, political, economic, or cultural factors. And then Australia is a continent too. 
And then there's Antarctica, which means there are like six continents. He also claims that continentally, islands are not connected to the mainland. So for instance, Filipino, Japanese, Hawaiian, Indonesian people are not Eurasian because continents. That's the first continents. The second continents is which causes the same, oh, those are pronounced differently. What does that mean? Well, so this it's spelled C-O-N-T-I-N-E-N-C-E. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that all who are unmarried, quote, are called to live chastity in continence, end quote. So continence is the refraining from sexual acts. You'll most often hear this You'll most often hear this term used when talking about natural family planning, when a married couple is trying not to conceive or spacing births for some valid reason. They might practice periodic continence. Another dude I know often talks about this continence about, and about cultivating virtue and striving for sanctity as the saints did. In, in that usage, continence is like a virtue with regards to chastity. So yeah, that's the homophone pair of continence. So that's number one. Huh. So now I'm going to just read off all the homophones that I mentioned on this list in order from 38 all the way to 1. Let's go. So you have soul, genes, marry, time, complement, complementary, course, some, rue, nice, heroine, jewel, main, flower, cue, aisle, cereal, beach, taught, cord, your, peak, Pride, V, none, air, friar, chili, leek, carrot, right, pie, sun, based, censor, nod, necklace, and continence. But yeah, those are my top 38 homophones. Thanks for listening and uh, have a nice day. Toodles.